listening to the Writers Forum. I'm your host, Mike Tusa, and today we'll be talking about the art of songwriting with two award-winning singer-songwriters. New Orleans singer and songwriter Andrew Duhon, who is here in the studio with me, and Lafayette singer-songwriter Steve Judice, joining us by phone. Andrew has four records out, including the 2014 record The Moorings, which was nominated for a Grammy Award. His latest record is titled Emerald Blue. Steve Judice has five records out and is the co-founder of the Peyton Wilson Memorial Songwriters Retreat, and he was recently named a Louisiana tradition bearer by the Louisiana lieutenant governor. His latest record is the self-titled Steve Judice. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. Well, look, before we turn to some of the mechanics of songwriting, let me ask you both to help me define something for our listeners. Um, I referred to you both as singer-songwriters when I introduced you, but, you know, not just anybody who writes a song will fit into that category. So, Andrew, give me a sense of what are the, what are the elements or what is it that you think makes up a singer-songwriter? Yeah, no one ever defined it for me, but if I'm going to intuit it myself, I think, well, first off, there's the singing part, right? You're probably singing the tune. You're not just writing the tune, which is a, a, you know, a profession in Nashville. Folks will write a song and pass it on to who they call the artist, which I find problematic, too. Uh, but the singer-songwriter, I, I think you are suggesting that you are uh, kind of like an author telling a story that is either autobiographical or you the the story was inspired as such by the teller and and in that way you have these quote unquote singer songwriters who make records of these stories travel the country playing these songs as their troubadours that they are i think it's it's the ownership of these songs as the story that you are telling from you know, first record to latest. I got you. Steve, do you have anything to add to that? No, I, I agree. I think that uh, for the singer-songwriter, uh, performing the songs that you've written is the, the vehicle by which you introduce your songs to, to the world. Okay. Well, let, let's talk about the art of songwriting. And, and this may be a question about inspiration, but since I review so, I, and interview so many novelists, I wanted to ask you this. You both have songs that are built around characters on occasion. Novelists I interview will sometimes tell me that they didn't really start their stories with a story idea. They started their stories with a character idea. Mm -hmm. Is there something like that, Steve, that you've experienced when you're writing a song? Yeah, um, it's funny that you compare uh, or you, you bring uh, novelists into this question because I just recently finished a song uh, that essentially says I'm a songwriter because I'm a novelist with a short attention span. Yep. <laughs> I, I, I try, I, I, I try to pack as much into a story as I can. And, and it's a, it's really a challenge to bring, uh, to bring your characters to life in three minutes and to tell something interesting about them. Okay. Andrew, have you had that experience where you started with a character as opposed to a story? Sure. And, you know, in that sense, you don't really know where it's going. Mm -hmm. um, but hopefully you get there. And well, you pretend like you knew all along. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to talk to you more about characters in a second. But regardless of whether the story starts uh, or the song starts as a story idea or a character, 
when you're writing the lyrics for a possible song, where do you start? Do you start with a catchphrase? Do you start with a, uh, a stanza? What's the deal on that, Andrew? Mm. Um, there may be, you know, a turn of phrase. I, I can appreciate a good pun, you know, but if that pun can carry, you know, some serious weight and kind of be the flagship of the idea, then you can, you know, you can soldier on, you know, with that in mind. But, you know, then sometimes it's music. Sometimes there's some piece of music on the guitar for me, and then it's more of like a meditative, guttural, what does this make me sing, you know? And, and maybe I can conjure some subconscious form that can can create a line that maybe you'll you'll base the thing around or it could just be the first line of, you know what this feels like a first line of a song let me just keep writing what is this what does this feel what does this mean you know and and keep telling the story from there and i like to think about uh there's a fella in town who's a luthier named sal giardina and you'll go into his shop and he has the sort of dewey decimal system drawers just full of things I was looking for an end pin for my guitar, a simple but specialized piece of gear. And if I'd have gone to Guitar Center, they'd have said, sure, we'll order it and it'll be here in a week. Sal has it somewhere fumbling through these, these drawers and finds this beautiful ebony with pearl in, inlay tail, you know, piece and gives it to me, I, I don't know, a, a dollar, you know. It's this beautiful thing that he has because he's been working at this for so long. And I think as a songwriter, it can be similar. You start along some course, and the more you've done it, the more there are those little ideas that didn't find a home yet, these drawers full of nonsense until they find a home somewhere, you know? And that's, uh, they don't make them like they used to, right? Certainly, yes. Sal inspired that song, and uh, and I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Steve, how about you? Uh, uh, what's your thought on that? I. Uh, I really do agree. I, I love the analogy about uh, gems in a drawer yet to be yet to be found or yet to be put to the use that was intended for them, um, and that in itself is a is a story. And and I'm, I'm glad Andrew got a song out of that. I uh, I, I think back to uh, stories that are, that I've been told that have have moved me. Um, you and I, Michael, wrote Green Smoke Canister together. Um, out of a very moving story of a person that was uh, was damaged during the Vietnam War and, and, and what he lives with to this very day. Um, so that's one way in which a, a, a song can get started. I agree with Andrew. Sometimes you, you might play uh, a piece of music uh, that begs for words that, that define what that music is trying to say. And so we get started that way sometimes. Well, that, that All, go ahead. I'm sorry. Ahead. I, I, every every effort at writing a song is an exploration into, I think, you know, trying to find meaning, and then conveying that meaning in a uh, in a meaningful sense. Well, you know, you both referenced, uh, and I'm surprised by this, but I'm curious about it. You both referenced the idea that maybe there's a piece of music that stirs you to write something. So that leads, to, I guess, the obvious question. You know, I guess most of us think singer-songwriters start with lyrics. Are there occasions where you start with a melody or a series of chords and say, you know, let me build on that? Steve, how about you? Sure. Uh, sometimes I'll just be noodling on the guitar or on the piano, and, and 
start to play something and and wonder what kind of words might best go with it. And um, there's a uh, there's an effort often to to match the the tone or the feel of the music with the story being told. I, I'll give you an example. I, I think one of the best matches between music and lyrics is Paul McCartney's Yesterday. And so you often uh, might hear something that you've played musically and it creates a feeling and then you put that feeling into words. I got you. Andrew, have you had that happen where you started with a melody, for lack of a better way to describe it? Totally. But you could say, you know, if if the Dewey Decimal System drawers come back into play, you know, maybe the lyric was created first. It just didn't have that home. But, you know, you say, oh, this has sort of a melancholy mood with some rain in it. Oh, wait, I've got that line in the drawer that maybe let me, let me tuck this in here and see what <laughs> happens, you know? Okay. Well, let me ask you all this. And I tell you how this song came to me. I'm driving the other day and I heard Gordon Lightfoot's The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. And I've always marveled over the fact that he figured out how to rhyme something with Lake Gitchigumi. Uh, and so I, and then I, rec- I recollected Bruce Springsteen talking about using a rhyming dictionary. Is that a tool of the trade, Andrew, that you guys use? No comment. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Steve, how about you? I've got a rhyming dictionary that that looks very uh, worn and tattered, but it's it's not uh, not because I've thumbed through it that often. It's because I've thrown it across the room because of its uses. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask that question then. Do, do all your Steve? I'll, I'll ask you. Do all of your songs have to have a rhyming pattern, or have you tried writing them without rhyming patterns? Uh, it it helps, I think, to to tie things together, but. Uh, I strive for meaning more than rhyme. I, the, to me, there's nothing uh, less impressive in a song than when it, it looks like somebody got a bunch of words that rhymed and then tried to wrap a song around it. I, the song has to come first. And if it rhymes, good. And if it doesn't, that's okay, too. Andrew, have you written songs where there's no rhyming pattern? It's something I strive to do, but I don't know that I ever have. Um, I I find usefulness in in the the barriers that the rhyme creates and in that way you know you can go into a a a rhyme dictionary if it doesn't come off off the top of your head um these are words you know you'd have thought of it tomorrow but the rhyme dictionary speeds up that process but you know it 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 gives you some options to explore none of generally you don't find a word and think oh yeah that's that's exactly what I was going to say. It's a near miss, maybe, or a far miss. But then you start to try to conjure the feeling, can I make a metaphor that moves toward that word? I think the barrier can be useful to create poetry rather than, you know, a journal, so to speak, um, you know, prose that, that might not quite cut as deep is, is my venture. Well, let me, let me ask a follow-up to you, Andrew, about that. What, what is the difficulty of writing a song that doesn't have a rhyming pattern? That's a good question. I, you know, I think it, if it doesn't rhyme, it needs to be rhythmic. You probably need to be syllabically fairly strict. Um, find a melody that you can repeat so that it does have musicality, you know, without the rhyme. But okay. I'm, I'm unpracticing such a thing. I'm not sure. Okay. Well, Steve, let me ask you this. When you create, since we're talking about rhyming, isn't that, when you create a stanza or a verse for a song, 
does each stanza have to have, for example, the same number of lines and syllables, or can that vary? I find it I find it most difficult, uh, and I've encountered this in in co-write uh, situations where uh, someone sends me a, a beautiful piece of poetry, but it it doesn't have the uh, it it doesn't fit easily into the meter that the first few lines suggest. And to me, that's that's one of the most difficult things to to adjust because you've got to. Uh, I always feel a a need to to put it into some sort of meter so that, as Andrew says, it it, it it's got some uh, r- rhythmic pattern, particularly if it's not going to rhyme. But it's very difficult to convert a piece of poetry into a song if the meter is not right, because you worry about if you're trying to fit it into that mold, how much meaning are you cutting out of the, uh, the words that you've received? I got you. Andrew, have you, do you try to keep your stanzas and verses with the same number of lines or syllables? I think, you know, the, the musicality in you will pull it in that direction. And I, you know, trying to acknowledge the rules even when you decide to break them is probably the move. You know, if there's just, if there's something that feels outside the bound of, okay, this verse is going to be an extra line longer, make sure there's a why. And, uh, and, you know, hopefully it's, it's a sort of thing where it breaks the rules and it, it catches you off guard in a good way. All right. Well, I'm going to catch both of you off guard and looking at your songs. I saw that you have both written a song entitled slow down. Uh Aha. I think, Andrew, it's on your newest album, uh, Emerald Blue, and Steve, I think it's on uh, yours, When Darkness Falls. However, mm-hmm. however, the melody for each is completely different, completely mm-hmm. different. So that brings me to this question that I've always been intrigued as a non-musician. How do you know which chords to match with which lyrics, or uh, melody or chords? Maybe my language is not right. And do you start with a certain progression before the lyrics are finished? Steve, what's the process for you? Uh, it, really do try to try to match the sound of the music to to the mood that I'm trying to create. But I have to be very honest. When I wrote "Slow Down," it was it was kind of a little throwaway song. I did it as an exercise, and and I never thought of it as a meaningful song. But one of my daughters uh, told me that the first time she heard it, it made her cry. And another daughter was so moved by it, she actually has it tattooed above her heart, a line from that song tattooed above her heart. Uh, But it doesn't really match what what I'm trying to say because it's got – it's kind of a bouncy, happy-sounding tune with a fairly ominous warning about you better live life now because life is short. And so it, that's a, an example where I don't feel like the music necessarily mass, uh, matches the message. Yeah. Andrew, I, you, you've got slow down on your new album, uh, Emerald Blue. It's at a much slower pace uh, mm. reflecting that. It, is that something going in? And, well, let's talk about that song. Is that something going in? You said, okay, I've got to have a melody that is much more somber or what? I think I remember the feeling of, um, you know, a kind of pleading with myself and with my partner about trying to have us, well, slow down. And, um, yeah, it needed to feel serious and somber 
and uh, and direct, you know. So there's there's sort of a drive to the minor uh, uh, chord, and in that way, I you know I I started. It's a little on the nose because at the end the music literally slows down. Right. But uh, you know, the beginning I wanted it to feel a little like um, something that you couldn't slow down. You know. Well, now look, I picked that particular song, but let me come back to this this uh, question, Steve. How do you match the chords or the melody or whatever with a song? Y'all have kind of answered that, but I don't want to get stuck just to that one particular song. Steve? Well, uh, I, I don't have much trouble with that because I, I know so few chords. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but my, my challenge is, is oftentimes just finding uh, variety uh, from what I, you know, something that's different than, than what I've written before. So things don't, don't sound the same. Truthfully, you know, I, I I'm not that, that much of a, a guitar player. And so, uh, my options are relatively limited, but within that range of options, uh, I, if, if the words have come first, I will certainly look for, you know, if it's a sad song, I'll, I'll do it in a minor key, you know, um, uh, because that's the the way you most often hear uh, sad, uh, moving songs. Uh, if it's a happier song, probably write it in a major key. I got you. Well, Andrew, let me follow up on that. Because, and actually, this is I thought kind of funny. I saw an interview with the bass player for Black Sabbath recently, mm-hmm. and he said that I, I never thought anything about this about Black Sabbath, but he said that he quite often would match the melody with Ozzy Osbourne's voice. Mm-hmm. I'm still not sure that's accurate, but anyway, that's what he said. Mm-hmm. When you're drafting your chords or your melodies, do you think about your own voice in that process? I think, you know, the, uh, the, the folkster's friend is the capo, you know. So we can, we can know three chords and put those chords in eight different positions before we hit, you know, the end of the neck. Um, and I, you know, then it's just, where does it, where does it feel comfortable singing? Where does it feel most powerful being sung? Uh, you know, so you can change the keys up, but I, yeah. And and so, you know, I, I'm certainly, I have centered myself into a little range where it feels like I can most effectively capture, you know, some notes that feel right. But, uh, yeah, in that way, the the music is movable. Okay. Well, this is true. I think for both of you, at least the songs that I've heard, Um, In many of your songs, you have um, musical interludes, or what I understand is called breathing spaces, Mm. uh, where the singing stops for a bit. How do you know, uh, Steve, where to put that in a song? Well, that's a good question. Um, You're trying to to catch the the listener's ear with, with something interesting, uh, particularly if you have a story to tell you, you're trying to get the, at least the first part of that story out. But at some point you may want what's already been said to marinate a little bit with the listener. And, and, you know, that's the perfect spot to put in a musical interlude. Uh, honestly, sometimes the purpose of the musical interlude is, is to make sure you get the song to three minutes long. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I haven't uh, I haven't often given uh, a lot of thought as to you know where where do you plug in that uh, that resting place for the listener uh, it it oftentimes just happens organically I think depending on on the song itself is that the same for you Andrew 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, you you feel the dynamics of the tune much like a landscape, you know, there's peaks and valleys, and, and you know, if you have two peaks in a row, maybe it's time for an interlude valley, you know, that sort of thing. But, yeah, same, I, I can sit down and listen to, say, a Bruce Springsteen song, it might be a good example, uh, and, and, you know, be hit in the face with a lyric from the first verse that I missed the rest of the verse, and get to a chorus that's hooky, it feels great, don't hit me with any more. Give me a guitar solo, you know? <laughs> I got you. All right. Well, listen, you, you, you guys both, or Steve, you in particular, talked about three minutes, three minutes. Songs used to have specific time limits, especially when we had an AM radio format. And then yeah. along comes, you know, Don McQueen and American Pie and uh, FM radio. When you're drafting songs, Andrew, are you paying attention at all to the length of the song? Sure. Yeah. And in that sense, I... I write a lot of slow tunes, but the thing about slow tunes is you don't, you don't have a whole lot of time for, you know, maybe a guitar solo, so to speak. But, um, yeah, I, it, it matters to me because it's, it's only my ego that pretends like a six-minute song is going gonna, is gonna to keep everyone's attention like it's keeping mine. So, yeah, and, and it's also, it's another one of those parameters, just like rhymes, that helps me rein in, you know, the 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 novel sort of idea into something more dense. I got you. Well, look, you have both used metaphors in your songwriting. I'm thinking of Andrew. You got rest on your shoulder, and Steve, you've got the candles way as examples. Uh, both great songs. Do you know going in, Steve, that you're going to start with a larger point that you wish to make, or do you start off with your metaphor and build from there? Um, if you come up with a good metaphor uh, early on in the process, then absolutely, you know, you're going to build a song around the metaphor. But a lot of times, uh, you know, if you're starting with uh, just a feeling and just trying to express it, then perhaps a metaphor is, is a good tool to uh, to clear up what, what you're trying to, to say. Andrew, when you let's use rest on your shoulder as an example, when mm. you wrote that, and I had to actually read up to figure out what it was really about, because totally. the metaphor sent me in a different direction. Mm -hmm. Were you thinking in that way, that, hey, this is a good metaphor? That, that was a practice that I'm glad you're reminding me of, because I want to try it again. But it, uh -huh. was, it was the idea of painting the road ahead or the road life as a lover. And instead of, you know, the, the clean metaphor with a, with a, with an end in sight is to say the road is a lover and explain. But I think in the song, I was trying to simply describe the road as a lover and then say nothing else and not make it clear that I was even speaking about the road, not use the word road, right? Mm -hmm. Say rest on her shoulder and, and leave it at that. Um, mm -hmm. I like that as an element, you know, but then you have songs that just keep nailing the metaphor like uh, Chris Stapleton's, uh, whiskey and you, mm -hmm. that's the difference between whiskey and you. I have to go back to really figure out what he's saying there, but it's, I think it's a similar thing. I can't figure out whether he's talking about her or the whiskey sometimes, uh -huh. right? And uh, I like the idea of finding a metaphor and then just let... No, 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 the road is the lover. Mm -hmm. write, write a love song for the road and then don't explain anything else. You yeah, know, that yeah. sort of thing. It works really well. Steve, you mentioned earlier the, uh, a reference to co-writing songs. 
What are, what are the, some of the challenges when you co-write a song? I think you did one with Paul Sanchez recently, if my memory's correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the, the biggest challenge is, uh, is managing your own ego. Uh, because when, when you're throwing out lines to one another, I mean, you're throwing out uh, a line because you think it's the best way to say something. And you have to, you have to be objective enough and uh, non-egocentric enough to, to be able to evaluate what moves the song forward in the best way. Uh, and so our own pride in authorship uh, sometimes gets in the way. Uh, the other thing I think that, that can get in the way of uh, any songwriting is, is trying to do too much in the way of perfecting it or editing it. Uh, working on a song right now where we're editing the edits of the edits. And uh, it, I, I love closure. Uh, and sometimes I will go to closure too soon and miss some opportunities that my co-writer uh, may have simply because he's the guy that has the attention to detail and knows exactly what's going to create more beauty in a line or, or in a, uh, a song itself. Andrew, you've co-written some songs, I assume. Have you had a similar experience? Uh, yes. I, well, I enjoy the co-writing process. I've yet to find a song that I, I feel like is my own through the process. Uh, I haven't recorded anything I've co-written, but I still I want to do more of it. It's useful in a lot of ways, even if it never offers me a song that I call my own. That part doesn't matter as much. Um, but actually, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working on a tune right now, and I'm on the third version of the chorus. You know, does it need more? Does it need less? And I, I find that in in the process of perhaps over-editing, when you go back to that place, the, the first version, say, and there's a freshness, there, uh, it's not overthought, maybe, maybe the first, ver- first version is right, or maybe you just need to start from the first version again and give it another tweak, or it seems to me like in the co-writing spot... That's the place to bring in the third person to say, come listen to this for the first time and give us your first, like, fresh reaction. Because that's what the, like, three times, four times edited song is missing is the fresh eyes that give it that fresh take one more time. Do you ever do that, Steve? Yes, yes. Uh, you're almost bringing in a mediator, too. Yeah. If uh, yeah. if there's disagreement among the writers, mm-hmm. you bring in somebody, uh, a third person that, that is not ego involved that, that can help. Uh, I want to I want to offer my services. Uh, that do on that. Uh, <laughs> sure. If I if I if I can get a co-write for just telling you what I think, I'd be more than happy to do that. <laughs> That's <laughs> nice, funny. Yeah. But listen, y'all, you're both talking about this. Novelists talk about this a lot with me. How do you know when a song is done? Because a novelist will quite often say, "I'm never convinced it's done," but the editor or my publicist said, "Okay, it's got to go." How do you know when the song is done, Andrew? I think when when you, when you when I close my eyes and sing every line and there's nothing that takes me away from the feeling. There's no line that says, mm, "I got to visit that one more time." Or, but then, you know, there's that other process. You, you got to play it for somebody. You know, I'm not trying to write avant-garde. Uh, this is not a monologue. It's a conversation. So, uh, I'm going to play it for uh, a bandmate or a trusted friend who knows my deal and I want to see whether or not it resonates with them. Did they get that? Yeah. Steve, is the experience the same for you? Um, 
yeah, to some extent, but I would I would suggest that uh, a song is never really done mm-hmm. because uh, once you once you have it recorded and you got it out there uh, commercially, uh, you're constrained a little bit. But but there are songs that uh, that I've written years ago, and I might be playing one night and somehow a, a twist on the line occurs to me and I'll play it that way. Uh, and it's like, well, that's not how the song goes. And the answer is that's how it goes tonight. Cause that's how, that's how it got written for tonight. I got you. Um, we got just a little bit more time, but let me ask a, a question, another question or two. Um, I'm going to get political on you for just a second. So we live in polarizing times, right? Mm. I read the other day that a conservative group is now objecting to the 50th anniversary of the Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon album because I guess it took them 50 years to figure this out. When light goes through the prism, it looks awful lot like uh-huh. a rainbow flag, right? Uh-huh. All right, so I, I often ask novelists this question. Are there, because of the times we live in, are there topics or areas that you say, you know what, I'm just not going to touch that and stay away from? Steve, I'll, I'll start with you. I wrote a song uh, that ultimately became uh, called Camelot Down, uh, at your suggestion, as a matter of fact. But but I wrote the song never realizing that it was political. It's it's basically a lament about how polarized we are uh, in this country. Uh, But I stay away from politics because it's it's not what I'm here to do or uh, here to worry about. Politics bore me. I wish I wish that uh, world conditions didn't demand the attention that they do now, but the reality is that they do, and that's a sad thing. Andrew, do you stay away from topics, or you know, look, we all grew up with singer-songwriters who wrote socially significant songs or political songs. Mm-hmm. Um, is that still even a role for a singer-songwriter today? Yeah, I think, without doubt, and I think Steve, it's well said by Steve. I, the the politic part is too terrestrial for the conversation. I think if we can talk about philosophy, what, it, what, what, what philosophy are we getting at that makes us lean a certain way? Um, and, and what are we willing to do to help each other? Um, the latest, well, I will say that, that, you know, five years ago, maybe less, I would have said, yeah, I, I don't need to write something that, that feels incendiary in that way. But now it feels like it's constantly a pressing question, what do you have to say? And it's the only question that I'm trying to answer as a songwriter is what, yeah. what do I have to say? Okay. And, and I think you can use grace and, and poetry to, to say something that may, makes people see it in a different way than, than the short political uh, battle cries that are too simple and don't solve any problems. Well, y'all have both done that, at least the music that I've heard and, and, and making your points. All right, a final question, and I'm going to go back to my interview with novelists because I'm curious of whether this is true for songwriters as well. Novelists will also often tell me that if they create a character first and they're developing that character, and that character has to deal with certain issues, that the process teaches them things about themselves. In the songwriting process... Are you learning about yourself? In other words, is it self-reflective, Andrew, when you write? Uh, one of my favorite things is hearing a song that I wrote and it teaching me something I didn't know was in there because I wasn't ready for it. You know, the, the growth that I needed to hear that back and hear it a different way, even though, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure I wrote that. 
you know, it, it can still teach you something. I think that's the beauty of it sometimes. Steve, have you had that experience? Absolutely. That's uh, That gets down to the where does the inspiration come from, because I will uh, oftentimes listen to something I've already done or even something that I'm working on and come across a line and go, wow, where did that come from? And And oftentimes that line is very instructive for me and and formative and so uh yeah i feel like uh putting yourself in the position to receive inspiration also puts you in the in the mental state to to receive instruction okay unfortunately that's all the time we have for today you've been listening to the writers forum and i've been fortunate enough today to speak with singer songwriters andrew duhan and steve judice about the art of songwriting Andrew, is there a social media site that folks can go to to learn more about you and your music? Sure. Um, all the dates and whatnot on andrewduhon.com, and you can find me on Instagram and Facebook, Andrew Duhon Music, I believe it is, but yeah, I'm out there. Steve, how about you? Uh, in Instagram and Facebook, uh, available on, on both of those. And um, Do you have a website? Actually, I, I don't anymore because the uh, the platform crashed. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I know your stuff is available uh, in, on Amazon oh, and yeah. elsewhere. Well, I, iTunes, Amazon, okay. YouTube, all that. Guys, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Appreciate it, Michael. Ooh.